Hello, you are very welcome to the Game Pit Podcast, episode 104. This is a Picking Over the Bones episode in which we're going to discuss nine games featured at Spiel 2017, but Sean is not alongside me this time. This is Ronan, and with me is Eleanor. Hi. Hello, Eleanor. Eleanor is my daughter, who's 14. She was with us as a production assistant. That's a grand title for what you do. <laughs> A grand title for running around carrying bags. Gopher, that's right. <laughs> go for this, go for that. And Eleanor was with us, as you probably know, throughout the whole of Spiel. It was her first Spiel. So we're going to have a little chat about how that went for her. And then we've got nine games to run through relatively quickly, we hope. Yep, they were great games and I'm looking forward to chatting about them. I hope all nine of them weren't great. It's going to be quite a boring episode. Yeah, okay. This was great. That was great. I loved it. I just love everything. <laughs> so... How was Spiel for you? Was it what you expected? Was it less? Was it more? It was pretty much what I'd expected, but on a grander scale. It was sort of overwhelming, just culture shock. Everyone's here, everyone's there, everyone's running around, everyone's got games. When you're talking to regular people, they don't normally know all the geek references that you make, and all these people here were laughing at my geek references. (laughs) Were you feeling very special? I did, yes. (laughs) (laughs) You were home with your people. I'm home. (laughs) (laughs) And you were at the UK Games Expo back in the summer. In terms of scale, did the UK Games Expo prepare you for it? Uh, It prepared me for maybe one of the nine halls that there were. Yeah, it was. It, there's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> lots of colours and loud. We didn't things. have large circular vid screens at the UK Games no. Expo. People doing live playthroughs on TV <laughs> and on Twitch, and yeah, there was a lot. It was even a step up from where I've been. I've missed last year, and things every year are getting more professional. Certain companies are getting bigger. They're presenting themselves properly, like professional companies expect, rather than one man in a trestle table <laughs> around the back. Yeah. I mean, so you always find some good games around there. We found a couple of good games over in Hall 8, which is where the indie publishers were. We went it was chat. interesting, yeah. <laughs> Ups and downs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe not as consistent as the other halls, but still some gems to be found. And games that we're going to see kick-starting, being picked up by bigger publishers and stuff, and we can say we were there. Yeah, it's pretty special to be able to say I was there when that was first published to mm. a new popular game. Maybe they'll be able to say Eleanor was here when we first started. Maybe oh, yeah, because I'm, I'm a media star. <laughs> this could be the beginning. <laughs> yes. Okay, shall we crack on? Yes, let's do it. Cool. Talking about visiting publishers in Hall 8, one of the publishers we visited several times were Itten Games, who were there to show off Tribe, which is their 2017 release, but also their 2016 release Tokyo Highway, which is a two-player 30-minute game designed by Naotaka Shimamoto and Yoshiaki Tomiyaka. In Tokyo Highway, two players are attempting to build roads using pillars, which will go up or down one level, and when they lay their roads, which are like oversized lollipop sticks if it is the highest road to crisscross one of their opponents or the lowest road to crisscross one of their opponents they get to place a car or two on the road and the first player to get rid of all 10 of their cars is going to win and you end up creating this hectic looking crisscrossing network of roads and pillars on the table Eleanor you got to play this more times than I did in fact what were your first impressions on Tokyo Highway my first impression was that it was visually unlike anything I've ever seen it's very aesthetically pleasing with the contrasting cars in top of the grey lollipop sticks and pillars yeah I think there's a reason that it got so much buzz 
without too much information is that when you see it on the table, you're instantly like, what is going on? Because as well as having that grey and the striking colours, the fact that everything's crisscrossing over each other, I think, yeah. makes people intrigued to say, what? how does that work? How is that a game? Surely you're just laying out lollipop sticks and having a look. <laughs> Because it's a two-player game, it was very fun to have direct interaction with the other player. You laughed together when things went right, but you also laughed when you knocked the other player's components over. Yeah, it's fiddly enough to require a special pair of car tweezers. (laughs) Special car placement devices. (laughs) Is that what we're calling them? Yeah. So there is a fiddly dexterity element there. You're looking to pull off difficult moves, but a difficult move is likely to cause you to have to thread your roads through other roads. And if you ever knock stuff off, it's the end of your turn. If you knock the opponents off, they have to replace them and give them some of your pillars. And the game can go long enough, especially if you're building at a higher level, that having the pillars becomes uh, fairly important. Yeah, Depends how say. well you're playing. I mean, there's a limited number in the game, but... There are, but if you run out, I think one of the end game rules is that if someone runs out of pillars, they lose. So you can't be too ham-fisted smashing in. <laughs> yeah. And there is a bit of tactics. There's a bit of... Obviously, it's very spatial what you're doing and how you use the table, but there is a bit of trying to fuck someone into building a certain way so that you can build back over the top of them or underneath them and be a bit sneaky. <laughs> When I was playing with Puria, we had a lot of fun because the waiters started coming over and asking us what we were doing, just generally staring at us. When you're in the middle of placing things, excuse me, ah, no, ah, it's falling over, Godzilla attack, Godzilla attack. Ah. (laughs) So, overall verdict on Tokyo Highway. Overall, I thought it was a very funny, compact little game and it was good to bring it out with you say, to a cafe or a restaurant if you're expecting a wait time, if you wanted people to come over and ask you what you were doing. I've only played it once, but I was impressed with it. It's fun. It's gone into the collection immediately. It's quite unique in that it is that fun dexterity with a bit of thinking to it as well, and it marries the two nicely. It's generated buzz over the last year, and I can see why, and I can see that if it can continue to push it and get maybe some publishing partners, this could be a hit that really crosses over because it's got the looks and it's got the gameplay. Now, the second game, Eleanor hasn't actually had a chance to play yet, so I'm just going to bang on about it for a little while. She can ask me any questions that pop in her head. Uh, That's okay, because most of her games I haven't played, so it's all... It's all fun and games here. It's all going to balance over in the end. Eventually. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> okay, this is Mystery of the Temples, published by Emperor S4 for two to four players, around 30 minutes. It's a 2017 release. It's designed by Wei Min Ling. In Mystery of the Temples, each player has got one meeple, and there's a Mancala system going on where you must move clockwise through a network of terrains. There's either temples or wilderness. You choose which one to move on. If you move on to wilderness, you're going to collect gems or exchange gems in order to get a pattern in a grid on your own card. If you go to temples, you either get to collect gems, which isn't that likely, but more likely you're going to hand some in. And each temple requires different numbers and different patterns of gems in order to break different levels of curses, with obviously the ones that require more gems screwing you more points. There's some error majority for breaking the most curses in a particular temple. And every time you break a curse, you then get a special power. Each location has a rune on it, and you can collect rune cards. And when you visit a location to collect gems that has the rune of your rune card, you get a special power, and that leads a nice acceleration in the game. It's another game that looks quite pretty. Emperor S4 only make nice, pretty-looking games. It's got a kind of decent arc in that it accelerates with the powers that you collect with the rune cards. 
there's some blocking of each other, especially if you see someone's collecting a certain pattern on their grid, because when you place stones to break a curse, you have to follow the lines on your grid. So it's not always that easy to swap them around and, oh, someone's stolen the pink, blue, blue, green I'd set up. I now need to do something else. Not not too blocky. There's a little bit of looking at what each other play, yeah, each player is doing. Yeah, see where the frustration element would come into that. A little, because it's going to take you a while to get back around the circle. Yeah. Uh, some gentle blocking, I'd say. Sounds like something I'd like to try. Yeah, I think you would like to try it. And uh, I don't want to sound like I'm being condescending. It's probably a bit simple for me to like for myself. Uh, it's pretty, it's good, it's solid. It's not mean enough. It's not innovative enough for me well, to really go... we all know how you are with the games. <laughs> yes. And I think actually it's a bit of a victim of the publisher because Empress 4 did Hannah Makoji and I think that set a bar for me that Mystery of the Temples couldn't quite get to. Eleanor's now going to lead us in with her verdict on Top of Top. It's from Cube Factory of Ideas, three to six players, 15 minutes. Actually came out in 2011, but there's been various versions of it coming out on Top of Top Plus and stuff, so they were pushing it at Spiel this year, and the lady managed to wrangle you in. I think she was the designer, Agnieszka Migdalska. Oh, <laughs> I hope you were polite to her. Oh, I was. So I got to join you halfway through because I was off chatting to the guys who were doing Sanctuary, also from Cube Factory Ideas. Top of Top, Ellie, tell us all about it. Top of Top is a fun little game in which you are using your own player token to complete a series of actions as required by the deck of cards that you have in front of you. So there's a deck for all however many of you are playing, you flip over one card, it has a specific action on it, and you have to perform it. So rolling your player token towards it, and whoever lands closest is the winner of that round. I rather predictably was quite bad at it, but Sean, however, was actually all right, which is odd for a dexterity game. <laughs> He's quite good at dexterity games, don't you mean? I just think you weren't focused. You were still caught up in S and Hayes. Shiny, shiny. Yeah, I thought it was very fun. It was, it was quite cute. As in, Sean bought it for his son, and I think that his son will really enjoy playing it. Also, another thing that was good was that there were three different decks, simple, medium, and hard. We played on the medium deck, but I reckon Sean's son, as he's only young, will start off playing on the simple deck, and he'll really love the experience. Cool. And is it a game that you'd see yourself playing more with your friends or more with like your younger cousins? It depends, because I haven't really seen the hard deck, but from what we played from the easy deck, I don't think I'd get it out with my friends. I think I'd get it out with more younger cousins. Okay, you're going to give me an age range for Top of Top. Age range, probably about 5 to maybe 11. Five, that's quite broad. Quite broad? Yeah, <laughs> you feeling that? Yeah, I'm feeling that. <laughs> okay, cool. Cool, and that's top of top. And you enjoyed it, and Sean talked about it in episode 102, and you both enjoyed the experience, so maybe one to keep an eye out for. Yeah, it was a laugh. Right, here's another one that was a laugh, or at least generated some emotions. <laughs> oh. it's, have you got all the feelings? No. What a wonderful segue. <laughs> <laughs> Seamless, don't ruin it. Don't peek behind the curtain. Okay. <laughs> Feelings from Act In Games, a three to eight player game, again 30 minutes, 2017 release, designed by Jean-Louis Rubira and Vincent Bidou. In Feelings, you lay out a circle of eight emotions. There's three positive, three negative, and two neutral emotions. And they come from decks, there's various uh, of them, and they can rotate through during the game. There are three decks of cards which each have three situations on them. 
therefore playing with your friends, as in your grown-up friends, your family, more a mix of ages but quite family-based, or school friends. The experience listed on them are all sort of directed towards one of those three demographics. The player chooses one of the three situations on there and reads it out. And then everyone needs to choose their own reaction from the eight available emotions using number cards. You secretly do it face down and say, for example, I feel contempt or I feel joy or I feel embarrassment or whatever it may be. There's various emotions you can choose from. Once you've chosen, everyone then gets a partner card, which you flip over. And then whoever is your partner for this particular round, it's going to change every round. You have to guess what they guessed. And the points actually come from guessing what each other has guessed and knowing each other and kind of reading each other. So it does lend itself a bit more to people that you know, for starters, and perfect strangers, it might be very difficult because some of the emotions are quite close to each other. But once you do reveal, if one of you guessed the other person's right, you score a point. If you both guessed each other's reactions right, you score three points. But in all honesty, it's less a game and more an activity. I agree. I thought it was a very good concept with trying to guess the emotions that the other people played instead of having them actually play the emotion cards themselves, which would generally be the norm. I thought it was interactive with the other players, given the partner cards, that you were teamed up with just a random person around the table. What I like about that is that I feel like it's given people a chance to talk about things you wouldn't usually talk about during games all right in this case not necessarily even the emotions but the situations themselves and other people's reactions but it doesn't force creativity like a lot of these games do where you have to act something out or put yourself in a situation it is here it is here is a limitation to what your reaction can be and what you choose might not be your exact reaction but just best fit and actually that best fit thing kind of gave you the ability to say because the designers actually said to me i chatted to them much bill they said you can't give, you can't categorise it anymore. It's just what it says on the card. And whatever that means to you is your reaction. And some of the interest is what people interpret from a situation and interpret in different ways. And then a bit of a discussion. Well, how have you got contempt for that? Oh, because I felt contempt towards the person who put me in the situation. Whereas someone else had empathy because they were like, well, now once I'm in that situation, I feel empathetic. And people react in different ways to the same situation. I also thought what kept the game stable was the fact that they separated the cards into positive, negative and neutral and then had them specifically laid out because if it wasn't like that then the deck could be very positive heavy or very negative heavy or just play neutral which would make the game a bit... Mm. I get invited fishing and I feel irritation. Ah, did you mean irritation? <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> uh, I think it's cool and I've played it three times and every time I've played it people have just chatted. And the game has almost taken a back seat and you're there just discussing different things. And I like that there's three different decks. You can use it in different situations. Actually, what's quite interesting is that some of the situations, especially in sort of the grown-up, the friends deck, are quite challenging. You're talking about stuff like immigration, security, the giving up of freedom for security, family situations. You don't feel compelled to expose your deepest thoughts because you don't you can chat as much as you want to chat but at least you're these are quite serious topics which you have to discuss on an emotional footing in some way and i don't mean rowing about it but just again that thing whereby you interpret it differently and i say well no i would feel annoyed because of this factor of it and someone else can justify their own feelings in just a way without it causing an argument because of the variety of emotions i i enjoyed felix quite a lot actually i'm impressed ellie well as you said i've only played the game that you're supposed to play with your family and i thought it was very chill it was a stimulus for conversation really and i really enjoyed it as well it's a hit 
cross generation. Yeah. Literally. Literally. Oh my god. A game that I know Eleanor enjoys is Flam Rouge. <laughs> You're right? Yes. Okay. And the expansion for Flam Rouge came out at 2017 Spiel. It's Peloton from Lordopellet.fi and Stronghold Games. Takes Flam Rouge for one to twelve players now, if you're so inclined. <laughs> Still lasting sixty minutes. It's designed by Asgard and Granarud, and again a 2017 release. So Flam Rouge is the cycling game, which is very quick, and which each turn everyone's choosing two cards simultaneously, flipping them over, moving that number of spaces. There's some drafting. There's exhaustion if there's no one in front of you, and you're trying to be the first to cross the line. Peloton. What does it add? Well, it adds a pink and a white team. <laughs> to take it up to six two cyclist teams or 12 players overall if you run one cyclist each adds a couple of different types of terrains being cobbles which can filter the lanes down from two to one space with more blocking and you cannot draft on cobbles and feed zones which widen it out to three lanes and your minimum move is four there so it kind of lets everything relax a bit and you can get rid of some of your exhaustion cards as usual when you're on the minimum move there's a breakaway variant whereby each of the players with one of their cyclists bids some of their energy cards in order to start a few spaces advanced and you can form a two-person group in front of the rest of the peloton. It also has the ability, why it's saying one or two player, is there are dummy teams in there and you can have two different types of dummy teams, a muscle team and a peloton team and a muscle team has slightly more energy and will just go for it and a peloton team will slightly cycle its riders more. Ellie... You played it before I did. Flamme Rouge Peloton, what were your thoughts? I played it with the Breakaway variant and the Cobblestones variant, and I found that both of them were very interesting. The Breakaway variant caused people to change their tactics, as in the two people in the Breakaway, they didn't have the same amount of cards as the rest of us, and also everyone was trying to sprint to catch up with them at the beginning, which you wouldn't normally do in a game of Flamme Rouge. The Cobblestones variant was very interesting as it kept the lanes narrow and everyone was battling to get through them first to get through them the fastest and not be blocked up overall it was it made it, it spiced up flam rouge i think looking to where the cobblestones are is quite important because if you get caught in the second or third group getting through that single lane that can be the race for you i think breakaway and an early cobblestones together can be problematic we had breakaway and sort of a middling cobblestones. Right, yeah, yeah, us too. Because once you get through that cobblestones, if people get chugged up behind, the number of rivals you're racing can quickly descend from eight down to four. I could see how that could Yeah, because you can get clogged up. So it, it does add something to really consider. In terms of the breakaway bidding for it, you have to bid fairly high. Because if someone gets in the breakaway for cheap, it's almost a win once they get ahead. Uh, and it's kind of one of those things with Flam Rouge that, sometimes if you get lucky you can just pelt and go for it so if someone's that few spaces on you have to make sure they've paid so everyone has to be involved in the breakaway variant if you use it the thing with flamouge is it's a fantastic gateway game it's brilliant to bring people in we've played it with non-gamers yeah they've all they've all enjoyed it every single one of them have just gone yeah it's a great game i'd like to can we try something else now yeah or can we play a different track because it's so quick and simultaneous and all the rest of it so for gateway it's brilliant and it adds that couple of extra things it's not overwhelming it's just one or two bits of track for gamers i still prefer a slightly longer track than the suggested track so that you do have to manage your exhaustion this is a great expansion to it, it it's a it's a got to have right it's just a solid solid good game 
Nice. Solid. Solid. Good, good. Do you know what else is solid? What else is solid? A dragon castle. Segway. <laughs> Segway. <laughs> <laughs> from horrible games two to four players 45 minutes long again 2017 released like almost all of these designed by Hjalma Hack, Lorenzo Silva and Luca Ricci in Dragon Castle there's a central stack of what I'm told are not really like Mahjong but Mahjong tiles <laughs> <laughs> I've been told off for not knowing what Mahjong is in three layers in a player's turn they're going to take one tile from the top layer and then they've got three options they could take another exact replica of that tile from anywhere as long as it's got a free long edge and they can place those two tiles anywhere on their own little board they can throw away the tile they've taken and score a point or they can take that tile lay it and take a shrine as well and what are all these things going to do when you lay down tiles on your board if you form a pattern of four or more it's going to instantly score you points that group of tiles is going to flip over and then you've got a chance to put shrines on there and you can lay on top of tiles that are already flipped and shrines are going to score for how high they are when you place on them but they block that space and there's different colours with different amounts of tiles in the game of them if you flip the rarer colours they let you place two shrines or the dragons are the rarest tiles they let you place two shrines and score a point and it's all about drafting successfully building patterns on your own board getting shrines on efficiently Eleanor Dragon Castle I thought it was very good. I liked that it was a twist on sort of Mahjong, as we we'll we're call calling it. We'll call it Microsoft Mahjong. <laughs> we'll call it, yes, it was a twist on Microsoft Mahjong. I thought that the whole thing with the shrines made scoring interesting and stopped people from just building towers and then just scoring for the towers instead of placing shrines on top of them and scoring. Yeah, it's quite quick. Yes. So you kind of have a bit of pressure on yourself to get those shrines out. Mm. It was also quite constructively frustrating when other people stole tiles that you wanted. Is that wanted. a new term? Is it constructively frustrating? Is yeah, that you being polite? I, yes. It wasn't just frustrating. It was constructively frustrating. <laughs> Is that another Dragon Castle joke? <laughs> ha, 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 ha. Does it keep you interested? Oh. <laughs> Alan's got her head in her hands. It's going to happen at some point. <laughs> One moat say that you're an idiot. Oh. Don't draw bridge any conclusions from this. <laughs> I'm going to tar it back onto topic here. <laughs> About Dragon Castle, anyway. Really simple to teach. It was, yeah. It was very simple to learn from yeah. the learner's perspective. <laughs> we, just, we just got in and started playing. I will say that after two or three games... The base game is fun, and I'm happy to teach it and play it. There are dragon and animal cards you can bring in, and they give you different rules for the game, and they give you different scoring variations in the game as well, just small things. So they might want you to have separate towers or shrines in a cluster or shrines spread out or some direction in how you might want to build your board. So I want to play with them from now on after three games of Dragon Castle. I know you can't really comment on that. <laughs> no, I can't. I have played one one game of the base game, and I thought it was something that I might request again if I was in the mood, just so I could see how it developed as everyone got more tactically skilled. It's both relaxing and competitive, I've written down here, because I quite enjoy the whole process of it. I don't feel too stressed, but you are looking at what other people want because you're building patterns of colour and you can see and there's a very restricted amount of tiles available and you are looking and going, oh, you're collecting red. Hmm. Well, I'm not going to take that tile away and let red become available now. So <laughs> there, there, there's a bit of thinking to it. 
I like the fact that I'm building up my own little thing. I just want that one extra layer. I'd say about most games, like, we're covering a lot of lighter games. And I think there's a few of them I'm going to be like, I just want one extra layer because... You because know, you're you. Because I play a lot of games. Yeah. But the variants are in the box. And I've played three games. I've enjoyed all of them. Now I want to move on and play the, the with the variant cards. And it's easy enough to do. It was never dull. Oh, right. It's kind of down it with faint praise here. Did it's, you really like it or not really like I it? I did. I did. I liked it. It was never dull. It was always interesting. I was always looking at what the other players were doing. And I think, yeah, I would request it again just to see how it progresses. Okay, cool. That was Dragon Castle. The next game is Eleanor leading us again because I haven't played it. But it is Invisible Ink from Cranio Creations and Hook and Friends. Three to six players. 30 minutes long. Another 2017 release designed by Martin Nedegaard Anderson. It's cute little party game in which another player has drawn a card and you have to try and guess what the card has told them to draw. They draw it on a notepad in yellow highlighter and there is a pair of glasses in the game with red lenses in them and you roll the dice to find out who is going to be wearing the glasses. It will either be the person who is drawing, the people who are watching or all of them. So these people who are wearing the glasses can't see what the player is drawing you can't see what the player is drawing so you're either reduced to just drawing what you think you are supposed to be drawing or watching the player's hand try and guess what lines they are making when people guess what the player is drawing when the other players guess it they score a point and also the drawers score a point but it is timed so you have a specific time limit in which to draw the picture and in which to guess what the picture is supposed to be Okay, this sounds ridiculous. Tell me how ridiculous it was. It was absolutely awful. Everyone was hurling abuse at each other (laughs) in the funniest way. So when you say it was awful, do you mean the experience of those terrible people I made you play with was awful or the game was awful? The the game was hilarious. The horrible people were awful and they all know who they are. Let's move on past those terrible people (laughs) who certainly aren't my friends. (laughs) The game itself... It sounds like it won't work. Does it work? Because I mean, this shows that I was not upset to have missed out on this game. Sell it to me, Ellie. It it works for what it is. It works. It's quite. It's basic. It's something you bring out when you just want a laugh, a light little party game. Maybe something to draw a new gamer in. Just show them what gaming can be. It was funny for the experience. But I think the people you're playing with make it funny. I think it's dull. If you're playing with people you don't know, who don't feel comfortable in hurling abuse at you, (laughs) it's not going to be that much fun, to be honest. I don't introduce you to those people, so that's okay. No, no, of course not. (laughs) So, Invisible Ink. A fun experience, but maybe not the best game is what we're... Yeah. Okay, okay. (laughs) The next one we're going to talk about is our penultimate game. We've got through seven already. This is incredibly efficient. I'm going to miss the experience. (laughs) This is Dream Home from Rebel.pl originally, but now picked up by Pegasus and Asmodee and a multitude of other publishers. It's two to four players, 30 minutes. This one was actually a 2016 release with an expansion coming out. 156 Sunny Street or something. <laughs> that spiel. And the designer is Clemens Kalicki. Now, we've only played the base game for now. We might talk about expansion another day. But in the base game, each player is going to build 12 rooms in their own house. And the rooms are going to be built by drafting cards from a board. Each room card will come with another thing with it, either a first player token to be first to draft next turn, 
or some extra cards which will score you points. Now the rooms will score in sets as long as you get them next to each other. So a living room, for example, one will score you one, two cards next to each other will score you three, but three cards next to each other will score you nine whole points. And there's sets of rooms like that. There's also supplementary rooms, like a pantry likes to go next to a kitchen, dressing room likes to go next to a bedroom. There are bonuses for having a functional house. That's a bathroom on both levels. That's functional, apparently. <laughs> a big need for bathrooms in, uh, in dream homes. Uh, or having both a bathroom and a kitchen and a bedroom to make it livable and stuff like that. You have to build rooms on top of other rooms. The supplementary cards you can get are roof cards that come in sets of colours. If you can collect four of the same colour, you get lots of points. Any four will do for a few points. There's decor, which only get added to certain types of rooms. You have to build them first. Then you can take the decor, and that will add to your point scoring. There are helpers with special powers. There are tools with special powers. Helpers generally help you with scoring. Tools generally help you move rooms around or take a room out of the discard pile or in some way mess with the board that you've built up. The theme, Ellie, is I think what is going to sell Dream Home to you if ever you want to buy it. What were your thoughts? When I first saw it, I was like, great, I get to build a house with a swimming pool and a hot tub and this is so exciting. Then I played it and it was sort of like that, but not really as much as I wanted it to be. I thought it was quite small for what it could have been i wanted the house to be bigger so i could add more things and get more combos but then again that does add an element of difficulty to the game having the constricted space now you sound like me you said you were in the game but more stuff yeah <laughs> well maybe that's an expansion dream home is very much aimed at children younger than you yes it it's is. for ages seven plus i think it introduced the idea of drafting cards of collecting sets, of special powers. And in my mind, because the theme works so well, and because it makes sense, put same types of rooms next to each other, you need to put a bathtub into a bathroom. Because the special powers are a drill or a handyman and stuff like that, it all ties gaming mechanisms into the real world. So it's hard for me to judge, obviously, because I'm an old man. But... <laughs> I felt like it was a really good way for kids from 7up to be introduced to proper gaming mechanisms. What, did you have any thoughts on that? I liked it. I think my younger sister liked it more than I did. She's to be 11. Honest, so. But she is 11, so it is within her age range. I thought it, again, was bland, but mainly because it is made for 7-year-olds. I wouldn't request it, but I wouldn't say no to a game of it. Yeah, it's definitely one that I found playing thinking, oh... Young kids were like this, and I'm still having fun. I was still making decisions. There was still stuff for me to do. It wasn't all completely obvious. Yeah. There was a proper game there presented nicely, is, is what I'd say. And I think for what the aim of the game is, it's hit home. It's not my favourite game in the world, but they're not trying to make it my favourite game in the world. I thought for what it was, it was quite sweet, but... I think what I wanted it to be was a scaled-up version of Best Treehouse Ever. <laughs> Which is on Kickstarter right now. Is it? It's turned into a bigger game. You're off to the computer, aren't yeah. you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's live right now. I haven't actually backed it yet. Well, all right, Alan's trying to yet. punch me. <laughs> <laughs> Domestic violence! The 14-year-old daughter's beating me up. <laughs> We're going to see what the expansion adds to it. And probably I'll report back on it again once I've played it with the expansion. But I'm really impressed, to be honest with you, with Dream Home. So, our last game, again, this is 
Amon Ray the card game, published by Super Meeple, 2 to 5 players, 45 minutes, 2017 game, designed by Ryan Knizia. I've played part of a game of Amon Ray the card game, but you've played a full game, so even less than usual, listen to my witterings, and Ellie will be the wise one here. But in Amon Ray, you're going to be spending money to build up a kingdom. You've got three provinces in that kingdom and it's played over three eras. You're going to build pyramids, which is your main point scoring, and they'll last from age to age. But over the three turns, you're attempting to have anks, which can score you the point but make your first player, which is an advantage, and then cultivate fields or collect camels in order to get money to set you up for the next turn. And also with money, you're going to be constructing more pyramids. And the way you're going to get these base provinces and expand them is all via quite an interesting auction system we all start with 14 money and then we choose a set of cards and they everyone's got from zero to eight and they make any combination they want to which adds up to 14 of their cards and then there's going to be three bids and you just it's cycle of these bidding where you have to go and outbid each other and if you've been outbid you can bid again and so on and so forth when the first round everyone's got that set amount of money which keeps it quite tight but then the fields and camels that you get depending upon how much people are willing to pay towards the gods in a secret bid will make it either a wet season or a dry season with camels like in dry seasons fields like in wet seasons and then that will give you the money some of which you'll choose to spend on pyramids as i said score points and the rest you retain is how much you've got for the second era and then the third era to spend on getting more provinces in and expanding your system. And there's that whole, do I buy lots of pyramids because they're going to score me all the way through the game, but leave myself with worse provinces going forward? There's a, there's a balance to be Another thing is, is that you score your lowest combined total of pyramids. Yeah. So you have to keep them all pretty equal, not have one set of pyramids that is streaking ahead of the rest of them. We, it's shorthand for that, it's Knizia scoring. So this designer is known for doing that in lots and lots of his games. So we were playing a game yesterday, and it's going to take me one minute to remember what it was while I look at my notes quickly. But for the gamers around the table, I said, oh, by the way, it's got Knizia scoring. It was in Ex Libris, is what it was. Uh, review coming soon, by the way. <laughs> but I said Knizia scoring, and two of the three other people went, yeah, got it. And then I had to explain it to an old mom. So, uh, like Tyrus and Euphrates, like lots of his games, whichever one is the lowest is the one you score, as you said. Anyway. Okay, so I've never played Amon Ray itself, but from what I got from the card game, I want to try the original game, because I really, really love the card game. I love the way that the flood scoring, which was what kept your fields and your camels relevant, kept everyone on their toes, everyone wanted to bid for what they needed, but you score points for bidding most, right? You score points for bidding most. You get some pyramids for doing it. and mm-hmm. yeah. So first, second and third in bid for seeing how wet the season is is going to get pyramids to add on. I also thought it was really innovative how the score tracker was the bottom of the box. The bottom, not usually inside the lid, but not this time. No, the actual bottom of the, the bottom box. The bottom of the box. I and it had fun. a skirt that you could move as well. It was not a skirt. <laughs> it looked like a skirt. It was not a skirt. <laughs> it looked like one. Okay. It was a temple. <laughs> how opaque did you find the whole system? Because it's quite intricate in that each different move leads on to the next move and you have to balance everything up and every card that someone else takes sort of affects what you've got. Did you find it hard to get your head around in the beginning and what was important and what wasn't important? Yes, I did. I think I sorely overestimated the power of camels. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
that's happened to the best I of us. I thought I'd say in my life. Yeah, I thought I sorely overestimated the power of camels because everyone else started getting their fields, and I was like, "Oh, okay, looks like a wet season's coming." Bye, bye, camel friend. This will be bad. <laughs> yeah. Camels get you nothing unless it's a dry season. So, so I absolutely scuppered myself in that. Then once I got into my stride with getting more fields than camels, given that four camels came out in the entirety of the game that we played. And how many of those did you take? One. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I thought you okay. meant you had loads of them. No, I only took one. It's I fine. thought you were going to say four. <laughs> <laughs> I think Rocky took the four for that. <laughs> uh, with that, though, and with you four in mind with the camel, was there a runaway leader? There's... Because money is so important and it brings you into second and third ages, it kind of feels like if someone gets a load of fields early, oh, not feels like, I thought it might be, that they'd be so far ahead in money that then they'd have an advantage moving onwards. Did you find that? I hate to say it, but I was the runaway leader after the misstep with the camel. <laughs> I completely flew ahead. Given that the score tracker caps at 40 and I was scoring between 30 and 35 on my two other turns. Nice. Um, yeah. But did you win? I think I came second. Well, how could you be the runaway leader then? Because the historian at the table won. <laughs> I don't think she actually built pyramids. She might have, you don't know. I don't know, you're right. I haven't asked her. Did you feel in control of your own destiny with the offering for how wet the season was going to be? I think I only really felt in control of that because I streaked ahead. So I always had my eights and sevens, which were the highest cards left, to bid. I want a wet season. This is what I'm having. My will is imposed on you all. <laughs> Which is a scary thought. <laughs> <laughs> and was it the right length? Did it feel satisfying? Because there's only three rounds in the game. Did it feel like you had enough time to build up and be in control of your engine and do what you're doing? Or is that why you feel like you want to play a board game? Because you felt like you wanted a little bit more. I feel like for the first learning game, maybe it was a bit short. Because the first round, I didn't really know what I was bit doing. Of a wash, right? And then yeah. the other two rounds, I completely knew what I was doing. And I feel like if I had three rounds of just total productivity, like I did for the last two rounds, perfect length. Did it come in in forty-five minutes? Uh, it came in at I think between forty-five and an hour. But we had some missteps with rules where we had to go back, replay a couple of things, yeah. check things. But that essence thing of learning from the rules. Yeah, normal teaching game. Yeah. I want to play it more. I've had two partial games of it. <laughs> and I've had to step out both sides for various reasons. So there's certainly been enough there to interest me. It needs a couple of plays for me to, to form a full opinion. I'm interested. It's made a decent start. And for you? Yeah, definitely. It was a really good game. I would definitely request it again. I want to play Amon Ray now. Let's go. It's a classic. We'll have to I don't own it. I'm sorry. Oh, you don't own it? Oh, I'm sorry to have let you down. Aww. It's bad parenting. <laughs> Right, that is all nine games. We're just going to see you after this short break to say goodbye. We'll see you there. Thank you very much for joining us on this quick look at nine games. Thank you, Eleanor, for joining me. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. You were in the house anyway. <laughs> I just hooked you in by the hair and sat you down and made you talk. <laughs> No notes, no nothing. <laughs> Talk, child. Uh, next time round, it's going to be me again, Roden, and I'm going to be joined by Puria. We're going to talk about six more Spiel games. Then Sean's going to be back, probably for a couple more Picking Over the Bones episodes. We've got so many games to get through, so many things we've been playing. We'll have been to LobsterCon. It will all be exceedingly exciting. So, 
Thank you very much. Thank you, Ellie. Thanks, everyone. It's a wonderful world. <laughs> Thanks for putting up with us. <laughs> if you want to get hold of us, you can get hold of us on thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com. We are on social media, notably Twitter, also Facebook and Instagram. Our YouTube channel contains pit stops, which are games summarised for you in a few short minutes just the rules so if you're intrigued by any of these games or indeed any other games around have a look and see if there's pit stops off them and that they will give you an idea hopefully if you want to look deeper into it itty bitty baby reviews <laughs> our podcast is available on iTunes Podbean and Stitcher if you want to get in contact with us and have a chat about gaming the best way is probably our board game Geek Guild look us up there Thank you very much and we'll catch you next time. Music by E. Aaron. Godzilla boy.